We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. KC Laboratory. Sponsored by Emprise Bank. It's the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank member FDIC. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here today, whether you're watching out on YouTube or wherever, listening to us on your podcast platform. We are so grateful for you coming, hanging out with us a little bit, talking some Chiefs with my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, it, it, it feels so good to see Craig's face, you two, I guess. Uh, on a more consistent basis here on a Friday show. Good being with you, pals. And people wonder how come I subtweet Kent on the <laughs> daily about awful takes on Twitter. This man's just out here coming at me just off the rip. Like, I, what is this? Craig, what's going on here? Save me, Craig. What, what is going on? I can't. I can't save you. I can't save you at all because you guys, I just want to put this out there. And this is going to be a very controversial take. And we might get kicked off of the internet for this. So I'm just giving you a fair warning right off the bat here. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to make this the best show that I possibly can. And I'm going to try and do that for an entire season. One might metaphorically say, I'm going to try and win the podcast game <laughs> all season long. You will. I'm really going to you try my hardest. You 100% will. Are you gonna so, are you gonna try your best every I, single time you come you know out what? on here? And it's not even gonna be just me. It's gonna be all of us, all three of us, because I don't care about individual accolades, as everybody knows. I'm looking to bring the entire team. I want this entire podcast to be at its best and really succeed because I'm not out here trying to suck half the time. And apparently. That's a really controversial statement that you know you can make when you are talking about trying to perform at your best, and I, I apparently gets in trouble in the media. Well, and you know God, what made it better is if that person that said these things would have referred to himself in the third person, like Craig was supposed to do for this entire podcast, and he couldn't <laughs> make it one sentence into nah. this before he started using I. So I'm disappointed. I hope that our beloved Patrick LeVon Mahomes does not suffer the same fate that Craig Stout did and does, in fact, win every single game that he plays this year. Oh, my. It's so controversial. 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 I'm going to try to win. It was a goal. It wasn't a prediction. I just – it's so irritating. Anyway, it is. It's, it yeah. must be June. It must be, must June. be June. 
I mean, Chiefs Twitter's starting to eat themselves alive a little bit. Everybody's getting a little feisty. Maddie's subtweeting me already. I mean, there's fight. There's infighting stops. between. There's infighting between the podcasts already too. Uh, we, we're. I've. I, I've. I read between the lines, Maddie. I really read between the lines. And you know what else I read between the lines on? I read between the lines on a lot of the Chiefs content or, or the minimal Chiefs content we've had the privilege of accessing recently. Steve Spagnolo, Andy Reid, a bunch of players, you know, out on press conferences. There's photos every day. Uh, there's little video clips that you're getting, you know, a little bit of little teasers from from the, the the Chiefs' excellent social team. There's all these little bits of information out there. They aren't giving us much. Uh, that's just the nature of the summer. But what we all like to do is overreact to the context clues that are evidence in all of the stuff that the Chiefs actually do give us access to. It's like it's better. It's better than the season. It's better than complaining about a a player speaking about a goal that he had. (laughs) (laughs) This really got under your skin, huh, Craig? Oh, my goodness. I I couldn't believe that it actually made it to the Chiefs pressers. I figured that the local guys were just going to be like, eh, not a big deal. And it still made it to the pressers. That's the part that bugged me. I mean, it's like one step up from from Patrick Mahomes' cliche of, yeah, we're just trying to get better every day. Right. I mean, like it's just like a small step up from that. It's not even like a bold take. Breaking football player trying to win football game. I mean, seriously. But uh, I, I feel like it was like the big three going to Miami and announcing that they are trying to win not one, not two, but not three games, but 20 straight games. That That's the vibes I got from it. So. <laughs> well, we like to read between the lines on what information we're given. It's it's at least something fun to keep us mildly entertained for at least a couple of hours. And uh, we're going to do that today. Just kind of look at the, you know, we've got six practices, photos from six practices, little video clips here and there, and a bunch of press conferences. Let's try to maybe just see if there's any context clues there about some of the players, uh, you know, some of the things going on at one Arrowhead Drive. And we'll start with this. There is some offensive line photos out there uh, that we do have. And, uh, you know, you can kind of get an idea of what looks to be the starting offensive line for your Kansas City Chiefs. Orlando Brown at left tackle, no surprise. Joe Tooney, the left guard. Shocker so far. I know, right? Creed Humphrey, though. Creed Humphrey appears to be starting. So I don't. Does Austin Blythe exist even more? Because I haven't seen a photo of him once. <laughs> That's at least an indicator. Uh, right guard, you've got Kyle Long uh, right now, and at right tackle, Mike Remmers, the uh, the veteran in the mix there. That's your group as of right now. It's it's interesting that you know Creed Humphrey just jumps in from day one. It kind of seems like I mean, by all indications, it appears that it did not take Creed Humphrey very long to supplant Austin Blythe. They're just you know both guys are having to learn a little bit, so they're probably just kind of getting the young guy in there right away. And uh, that's a good thing for your Kansas City Chiefs. That's a good thing for Creed Humphrey because getting that guy in the mix right off the bat. That's the one that is the most interesting to me to this point. And I'm very excited about the fact that they're just throwing him into the fire, letting him get, you know, just just all the opportunities to get caught up and, and build some rapport with Patrick Mahomes. For me, that one, I think a lot of people probably should have expected. Not that you'd be crazy to think that a rookie had to earn it. I just when you go back and listen to Andy Heck's press conference, 
one, there was a lot of love for Creed Humphrey, his background in terms of understanding uh, the pass protection calls need to be made, his ability on the field. They even went into talking about his wrestling background without, he even straight up said he doesn't have experience as a wrestler, but he told you how he thinks it can be useful. So I think it's pretty clear that Andy Heck enjoyed Creed Humphrey. And then something that Craig's been talking about a lot ties in perfectly to this. There was a lot of talk about how physical these often this offensive line group is, how mean they like to play. I think that that ties in great with Craig's film rooms that he's been doing going up to this point. A lot more man schemes coming, a lot more gap scheme is coming. And from Creed Humphrey over to Orlando Brown, that left side, man, that those three guys are just picture perfect for a lot of the stuff Craig's been talking about. And you can see why Andy Heck's excited about it when you listen to him talk. Yeah, it, he actually said that they now have you know he talked about guys that were finishers and guys that can really go out there and impose their will because that's the fun part you know and he called some of these guys natural born killers and saying that they chart some of these finishers and they have he wants a group of guys that are going to win with power that are going to finish and that are going to be able to hold their own at the point of attack i mean boy is pff trigger at that thought process (laughs) (laughs) oh man Movement up front, running the ball. Oh, no. Um, But, I mean, I think we see that that's what the Chiefs went out of their way to do this year is to try and make sure that they had the bodies to be able to run those types of schemes and do that kind of stuff up front. Maddie's right. From from Creed Humphrey over there, Taylor made for that. That's not to say that Kyle Long can't do it, but it's not something that he's done a ton of. He's been mostly a zone guy in his career. And then Mike Rimmers, Maddie. I know you got Mike Rimmer's takes here. Yeah, seeing him out there at the right tackle, I think gave Chiefs fans a little bit of PTSD from the Super Bowl. Okay, so I just want to ask you guys quickly: what's what was your opinion on Mike Rimmer's last season? How do you think he did? Like, what was your opinion of Mike Rimmer's play at right tackle last year? I thought he was a capable right tackle. He wasn't anything that was an absolute game changer, but I actually think for the the kind of player he was and what he was asked to do, moving around all over the place, settling in there and playing capable right tackle. I wouldn't say he's anything to write home about. I don't think he's a high bar to clear, but I think you can do worse than him at right tackle as well. Craig? I, I mean, after now going back and watching a lot more of the Chiefs, you know, blocking up front, doing this offensive line stuff, he got a lot of help. Um, he he was not trusted on an island the same way that you saw guys like Mitchell Schwartz or Eric Fisher. So that's a little bit concerning, but I do think that they can make that work a lot better with the group that they have because I think that they're not going to have to give so much help to everybody else. So I think he is perfectly capable of playing at the level that he did in 2020 at right tackle. And that, that's where I kind of wanted to go with this is I do think he's capable. I think that Mike Rimmers is a guy that if he has to step in and play right tackle, like he did last year for the Chiefs, you aren't in a situation where your entire season is ruined. However, I think you see it when you got up playing against higher level of competition. You either are forced to use the best player on the team, not na- named Patrick Mahomes, and to block and Travis Kelsey. You're having to slide your offensive line to his side. You have to alter your game plan to make up for Mike Rimmers being at the starting right tackle, especially for 16, 17, 18, 20 games like it's going to be. I am a little disappointed that that seems to be the direction the Chiefs are going. I think we've seen pictures of Lucas Niang playing left tackle too. So yes, I'm sure he's still clearly in competition. You can jump back in, Kent. Well, I just, you know, I, I just wanted to say one thing about Mike Remmers is um, he's a guy that he 
was someone that I mean the Chiefs really needed in a lot of different ways last year. Oh, yeah. I think that they are doing him a service a little bit to not really just hand over the right tackle spot to Lucas Niang. I think it actually works two different ways. They're showing gratitude to, to Mike Remmers for all he's done, and they're making it hard to supplant him. I think Lucas Niang, they got to dangle that carrot out there for a guy that really hasn't got to play much recently. So I think it serves two things. If you got Mike Remmers sitting out there, that's actually one. Like, I think it, I think there's something to be said about Creed Humphrey playing right away. I don't know if there's a ton to say about Mike Remmers being there as as of right now because there's so many questions marks about Lucas Niang right now. It, I'm fair with that. I'm fair with having Lucas Niang beat him out. My concern with this, and this is kind of what I was diving into, is my concern is Mike Remmers caps this offensive line ceiling incredibly hard. Like there's a hard cap to how good this offensive line can be across the board because Mike Remmers ceiling is known. It's not even a start, an average starting level player. It's barely a fringe starting level player. And that's the best you're going to get out of him. I personally would rather see Kyle Long have a chance out there. I'm not saying it would be that much better, but there's a chance it could be. Kyle Long's best season at right tackle was better than Mike Rimmer's best season at right tackle. You could cycle in, whether it's LDT once he makes it to camp, Trey Smith, go back to Andrew Wiley at right guard. There's other guys you could put in there that I think you could field a more talented top five offensive lineman. Mike Rimmers being your utility offensive lineman off the bench, your sixth guy. That's a great sixth guy to have. We saw it last year. That's a fantastic, fantastic yeah. sixth guy. Right now, you're assuming it's LDT's your sixth guy. He can't play tackle. So you're now having the Yang's your first tackle. LDT's your first interior. Just, you split it up a little bit more when you force Rimmers into starting. So just, I wish they went a different route to raise the ceiling of this offensive line. I do think it's capped a little bit. And maybe by the time season starts, Lucas Niang takes over. That's quite possible. Yeah. I don't think Rimmers or Niang, though, really fit the mold that Andy Hag talked about in his presser. I mean, you guys listened to it. Did you really get the feeling that Lucas Niang or Mike Rimmers are uh, natural-born killers on the field? I got the feeling that, that Andy Heck really loves Trey Smith. I've, I've <laughs> don't we all? Listened. Yeah, we do. We do. But, I mean, like, I, Andy Heck's very – he's a wonderful – Presser. I really enjoy listening to Andy Hex pressers. He's got a very even keel to him. He gives a lot of information without oversharing. So I'm sure Andy Reid is more than happy to put him on the podium, you know, anytime that he can. But you saw him when he was asked about Trey Smith really perk up because of his football character, his finishing, his power, you know, all those things that we talked about up front. Like he, he got as excited as you see Andy Heck get in a presser as as we've ever seen, just gushing about this six-round pick. And obviously, there are other things to overcome medically with Trey Smith. We'll see how that goes. But I do think that Matt's right. Like those those guys aren't the types of guys that really fit in, you know, specifically with those types of asks and what Andy Heck is looking for in those positions. So it will be very curious once they put the pads on, they actually start getting to hit where we see the shift go. All right, real quick. Day one, right tackle starter, our week one, white right tackle starter. Maddie, real quick, who? Oh, it's going to be Mike Rimmers. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think I think Lucas Niang might have it by week eight though. Sweep it. Uh, I think they're going to give Remmers the first crack and we'll see how long that lasts. But I wouldn't I be stunned. I was just going to say, my one not concerned with that, it's just I don't dislike Lucas Niang being the backup swing tackle. I don't like him getting reps at left and right tackle. I think if this competition was super close right now, 
I think he'd be getting only right tackle reps. That's, That's just my gut feel. I don't think that he would be losing reps to Prince Tiga playing right tackle while Lucas Niang was tried out at left. I think he's more of a swing tackle right now than the pure in the right tackle running. But I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he starts. That's just reading between the lines. Those are the lines I'm seeing. I'm seeing Niang playing left, Prince playing right. Kind of hard to move Niang over Rimmers at this point in time. That's another context clue. That's a deep. That's a deep context clue there, Maddie, and a good good one there. Uh, another one. Noah Gray getting some run with the first team on a couple instances here. You saw him on some seven on seven reps with uh, with Patrick Mahomes. You saw him in the uh, Tyreek Hill. Orlando Brown eviscerating Tyree Kill and just removing him entirely from the screen picture. Noah Gray was in with the first team on that. And a couple things about that. That's notable. And here's why it's notable. There are two tight ends in this organization outside of Travis Kelsey that have been here at least a year that have played significant snaps for this football team the last two seasons. And Noah Gray is out snapping them with the first team. They do not waste Patrick LeVon Mahomes' time, especially in the summer, on players that aren't at least turning an eye, at least that they're not trying to fast-track to get ready to go. This very clearly seems like he is in some capacity part of the plan. And it's not like like Blake Bell and, and Nick Kaiser are a huge bar to clear, but it does seem that the Chiefs believe he either will clear it very quickly, has cleared it. These are these are indicators for me that Noah Gray is very much in the plans for this football team. It, it, starting, they, they traded up for him, even if it was the fifth round. They, they traded up for him because they had to have Noah Gray. And now, two weeks into OTAs, here's Noah Gray getting run with the first team in a couple different instances you know, not, they're not wasting Patrick Mahomes' time, Maddie. I agree. And I think when you start getting things like this, when you start seeing a consistent player constantly jumping into first-team reps or constantly being on second-team reps or working with specific pack, prep personnel packages, that's when you start to pay attention to it. So one rep of Noah Gray playing with the first team while Travis Kelsey was off golfing and potentially enjoying a few brewskis along the way, judging by, you know, his typical offseason look, that's no <laughs> big deal. But once you get to three or four of them, I think that's where you start to pay attention. That's what I'm looking for when I go through the pictures. I, I know Craig's doing the same. Yeah, definitely am. Especially when you've got guys like Blake Bell and Nick Kaiser that have been in Andy's scheme. Like, it's real easy to just throw right. those guys like for like it's not that he's replacing kelsey here it's that he's no. leapfrogging two guys that have been here and he trusts them like they brought blake bell back because they trust blake bell to get in there and run the offense they brought nick kaiser in because they trust him to run the offense the fact that he is noah gray is leapfrogging either means that he's getting the run that those guys were getting in those positions or they're using him as more of an H back, as more of that sniffer tight end that we've talked about a little bit, using him as a dynamic weapon with the first team, which would indicate a shift towards more of those gap schemes like we've talked about. So it's very interesting. It means a couple of different things here. I think it's not worth turning a blind eye to it just because, you know, sometimes guys get run with the ones. I mean, Kit, like 
we see him all the time out there. Like this opens up the offense if they use him that way. You can't ignore the fact that he's leapfrogging those two guys. Well, Maurice French isn't getting a ton of run with the first team. Like no. it's it's like there, there, I think there's there's some level of consistency here that's, to him getting opportunities. That's not dunking on Maurice French, by the way. That's just no, saying it's, it, you it's know, the reality yeah. of it. Maurice French yeah. is a practice squad player that probably isn't gonna make this football team. It's gonna be very difficult for him to make this football team. And the guys that are on the fringe of the roster aren't seeing a ton of time with Patrick Mahomes. And there just seems to be a very obvious attempt to get him in the mix with the players that are going to make this football team and doing it so quickly, I think is of note because I mean, the, the guys that get run in OTAs early in the past, we've seen have a lot of success here in Kansas city, the rookies that wind up getting <laughs> run early. I'm, I'm going to say this name and please don't just Tyreek Hill got a lot of run in OTAs. Kent said it. Noah Gray having a Tyreek Hill rookie season. A3 picks getting run. I don't, here's the thing. I don't think you need to set unrealistic expectations for a guy like Noah Gray. If he's a contributor, if he's your tight end two, that is massive for a fifth round pick. If you, if they found a trusted tight end, that's better than Blake Bell and Nick Kaiser, which again, not a massive bar to clear, but a bar to clear. And an improvement on your football team from a fifth round pick. That's a win. That's a big win. That's a small win, but that's a big win. And those small wins add up when you're trying to make your roster better, especially with day three assets like Noah Gray. And I think that's what's interesting to me is if he can be better than what they've had in the past, that's four years of club control of a guy that they think is better than a Blake Bell and a Nick Kaiser. And that's massive. That's massive from a roster building perspective. You know, you know who else? Really transition quickly. Legereus Need. Right. Also, quick transition. Showed up in OTAs almost immediately. These guys do make a difference when they are consistently in those positions. It's Can I play devil's advocate now? Uh, yes, please. Sure, fine. I want okay. to. Just don't here. Who took Travis Kelsey's reps in camp? Because it wasn't Kaiser. It was Ricky Seals-Jones. Why? Was Ricky because Seals-Jones. he's the same type of player. Now... Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Noah Gray is only getting reps because he's more athletic than Blake Bell and Nick Kaiser and he's a better receiver, but I'm also not not saying that because he is definitely a better receiver than those guys. He moves better than them. He can split out wide and play as a slot receiver. So I could see the logic behind Gray getting those reps while Kelsey's not practicing or participating in these OTAs over Kaiser, over Bell, essentially because the positions are considered separate. Let me finish. I don't think that's going on, but I do want to say that's there. I do think that Kelsey is considered a slightly different position than what Kaiser or Bell play. So you do yes. have to be tread a little carefully when looking at that from this regard. Yes, go ahead. However, the situation we saw was Noah Gray lined up in line. It attached, was. Attached to the tackle. and yeah. that I think was, he blocked. And I think he stayed in and block and cut off the backside. So that would be a very prime Nick Kaiser, Blake Bell situation. Um, they excel in that role. That's, that's where they're best is also, in that specific role. <laughs> it's not like Ricky Seals-Jones was a was a, a rookie playing here in Kansas City last year. It's either. not he was like a he could turn either. So, Well, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Uh, let's take a break here between the context clues and just... Let's talk a little bit about 
some rookies that we're kind of falling in love with a little bit irrationally. We haven't really seen much film on them either, but it's time to fall in love with a rookie. Craig, who's the rookie you're falling in love with? I mean, the rookie, the only rookie that there is to fall in love with right now is Creed Humphrey because he's going to protect the franchise. They gave him the reins from day one. I am always team play your kids. Get the get the guys in there quickly unless you have an established veteran. Creed Humphrey is going to be in there. Andy Heck loves him. He's going to call protections. They're going to run gap schemes because they've got a guy that can protect it and call things up front. I love Creed Humphrey, Un, you know, unabashedly love him after getting further into this offensive line stuff. So I 100% on board with Creed Humphrey as the guy that I love this year. Yeah, Patrick Lavon Mahomes probably called him a beast, didn't he? Oh, wait, no, he called Cornell Powell a beast today in the press conferences. I'm going to go with my guy, Cornell Powell, uh, by all indications, making some contested catches, something that he was well capable of doing at Clemson. That's a positive indicator there, too. I think, you know, if he can show capable offensive ability winning at the catch point, that's a big win for him. He's going to have a role on special teams immediately. Um, this is a chance for a guy to become a contributor as a six round pick. And again, same with Noah Gray, getting any kind of contribution from those guys is a big win. Cornell Powell is the guy I'm falling in love with. I'm excited about him. Listen, I'll be the only one that's right. So <laughs> you guys can talk about all these guys, but only one of these players, I think it's pretty clear is the guy that had a license to kill. And that's Trey Smith, the <laughs> offensive guard. Now, it might be a little bit slower of a process. It, you know, Andy Heck talked about he sees him as a starting guard in the future. It was just a matter of when he gets there. So I accept that. I accept it's going to be a year or two. But only one rookie gets coaches this fired up when they talk about him. Only one rookie takes the podium and gets us fired up to listen to him. That's Trey Smith. That's why you fall in love with him and not these other jamokes. I'm just kidding. I love the entire rookie class, guys. They're all great. Say. I just wanted to. I just wanted to win the podcast. You're very. That was a very you impressive little smoke out. Maddie brought his A game for that argument. <laughs> he really did. I. You know what? Cornell Powell got the got the stamp from Patrick Mahomes, and that's all that matters. That's he did. Matters. He did. But one of these guys is going to start day one. Patrick Mahomes has already worked with Creed Humphrey so much that it's just second nature for him now. Like he, him and, he, yeah. he already said he's adjusted to the fact that he's a left-handed snapper already. Like it just it happened immediately. So Creed, yeah. Creed, Creed and uh Patrick have gotten very close. Oh, uh, Creed's gonna have the biggest though. impact. That just wasn't the question. It was which guy do I love the most? And that I'm is sorry. 100% I'm sorry. Respect. The, the biggest impact protects the franchise. So that by default makes me love him the most mm -hmm. i'll remember that <laughs> all right let's get back to context clues because this is just unraveling extremely fast um maddie wanted to talk a little bit about steve spagnolo and his lukewarm commentary on the cornerback position a place that the chiefs have really not spent a lot historically and continue to not spend his spend on this roster either yeah so Steve Spagnuolo was asked about where LeJarrius Steed's going to play. And they, he made it very clear he's going to start on the outside. He gave examples from his time with Philadelphia that they played some guys outside, then back inside, and referenced that for Sneed. But the big part that caught my attention was he went on to talk about how they're, it's going to depend on the next cornerback to step up, to show up. And he repeated that like multiple times. There's nobody else on this roster that he feels right now is ready to be a starter. Like He even came back and said, 
even if it is a guy. Like he made the reference that it might not even be a cornerback that steps up to be the third, you know, the slot defender, the other outside guy. So LeJarius Sneed's going to play. Charvarius Ward's going to play. Who's next, Craig? Who is Steve Spagnuolo waiting to step up? Who's it going to be? Please tell me, because Steve Spagnuolo's confused. What am I supposed to do here? I know that doesn't give a real ringing endorsement, and I know that they got some injuries out there. Like I, I get that they that they're a little banged up at corner, but this isn't a situation that you want to be in. Now it's nice that you've got a flexible chess piece like Legarius Need that can move outside and inside that helps you to really mask some of those things, as we saw last year. But that's not a really ringing endorsement of your cornerback room when he's basically alluding to Tyron Matthew going back to the slot like I, I i do think that he's referencing maybe a safety kicking out there and if you're kicking a safety out there well then you're taken away from one of the things that he does really well patrolling the middle of the field so that's a little bit worrisome you've got to hope that one of those guys steps up i mean steve spagnuolo is calling these guys out in the media like this is as far as about he goes and the podium as far as calling guys out so the fact that he had to bring that up multiple times like maddie said i think it was three or four times that he basically said one of these guys has to step up that's not great right now at this point in the season the thing with the cornerback group is the idea of a lot of these guys is interesting like the idea of deandre yes. baker is fascinating you know rashad fenton bo peak he's the idea of these guys is but someone's actually got a mike hughes mm-hmm. mike hughes these guys actually have to you know it, it's got a manifest itself and it hasn't yet necessarily from by by all indications is you know he might be dangling a carrot but it doesn't sound like anybody's really that close to grabbing it and that's gonna be worth monitoring for sure the Bashad Breland situation he's still out there um, there'll probably be a corner or two uh, if you don't have David Amerson uh, you know PTSD maybe a, a cornerback released in the in the open you know gets it gets to the open market here this summer uh, maybe there's a guy they look out there. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what how this group shakes out, who steps up, what adjustments they make to make this make this roster, you know, better at that position. Uh, I think I have something coming up at, on uh, on on KCSN Substack talking a little bit about uh, some positions that might need a veteran, and cornerback is one of them. Spoiler. Why did you bring up? Why did you bring up David Amerson? I, 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 I had to, right? I thought uh, that I drank enough to eliminate that man, that name from its. Well, mind. hey, on the note of David Amerson, make sure you're subscribed to the KC Sports Network Substack, so that way you get all of the alerts and everything sent directly to your uh, inbox in your email, and you can keep your eyes out for some big announcements coming up here in the near future. Very but near future. I'm going to take this time. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Oh, no. Who's the fifth defensive back week one, Craig? Ooh, fifth defensive back week one is going to be Rashad Fenton. I think. It's Where's Rashad he playing? Fenton. Where's he I playing? Think he's going to he's going to play in the slot. That's where Spagnola has played in Kent, the past. Next, this <laughs> <laughs> is cut him off. I want to say Rashad Fenton outside. I like it better. Still scary, but I like it better. I don't. I'm going to go with Dan Sorensen with Tyron Matthew playing in the slot because I think that's your week one probably. move. I am hoping by week nine to 10, we get Mike Hughes in the slot and Tyron Matthew can stay at safety and something like that. That's my hope. So wait, but wait, Dan Sorensen's not four. He's not defensive back four. And why are I we think, going Juan Thornhill, Craig? 
I think Juan Thornhill practicing. (laughs) I think I'm I I am gonna be the ever optimist that Juan Thornhill returns to the Buffalo Bills form, to his rookie year form, and Mm -hmm. takes back over the starting role that he earned over Dan Sorensen as a rookie. I think he can get back there and he will get back there. If he's not ready, then put him in the he can be the fifth guy, but it's gonna be a safety. That's all I was going for, which is a safety. I I think you're probably right. Yes. Devin Key was in a photo getting reps with Dan Sorensen. Yep. Let's go. Fascinating. That's just, a that's a lot of size at safety. I just that was interesting. I was just like, and it looked like he was like operating from the slot. And I was just like, great hair, too. Great hair, but that was just that was just out of left field. That one was interesting. It was a second team rep, very obviously. Um, Chris Jones playing defensive end is something that <laughs> it was. Spags was all over the place with this one. <laughs> it was great, Craig. Yeah, he started by kind of alluding to the fact that oh, Jerron Reed will give us a little bit of flexibility with Chris Jones. We'll see. I don't know that he's going to play defensive end. And then later on, he was asked about Chris Jones losing some weight and you know what it's like to make that transition. And he said, well, you know, it's really hard mentally to make that tra- transition to defensive end, which is what Chris is doing right now. Like <laughs> he straight up said, Chris Jones is playing defensive end and then tried to walk it back and said, oh, there might be some matchups where he plays, where we see that he could beat a guy, you know, on an offensive line or something like that, which I do believe. I think that they'll move him around a little bit. But I think, you know, we've speculated all along. We've seen in some pictures that he's getting some defensive end reps. I think Spagnolo coming out and saying, acknowledging that he's lost weight and that he's going to play defensive end would indicate, Maddie, that the time has come. He's playing defensive end in 2021. I have never been more sure about this topic than I am after listening to Steve Spagnolo. <laughs> Not only did he say that Chris Jones is currently accomplishing the mental aspect he specifically said that hopefully now that he's lost some weight he's more flexible like you need to be at defensive end because if we go back and recall i don't think we've seen chris jones be flexible for a defensive end for a defensive tackle sure he's got a good arm over he can dip under guys he shows a little bit of rotational flexibility but you watch him rush as a defensive end when he's done it in the past it's just all linear it's a power rush it's a long arm occasionally mostly a bull rush Steve Spagnuolo specifically mentioned that he's trying to get more flexible to play outside. I think that along with the mental reps, like he's going to play defensive end. I think he's going to do it early. He's going to do it often. Kent, I, what, what's your final takeaway on this? Chris Jones, is he playing more snaps at D end or more snaps at D tackle at the end of the year? Ooh, boy, you're making me do a lot of math in my head. That's um, a great question. It's a great question. I, I still think it's defensive tackle, Ooh, but okay. I still think his defensive tackle. Um, I actually wonder if he's. Uh, well, we'll see. What we'll, we'll see how the base downs go. Like that's that's what's ultimately going to be really. I mean, there's there's such a long way to go here, and what he's how he's he going to operate there on the edge on the uh, on the base base downs. How often do uh, do offensive coordinators try to put him in conflict? <laughs> Well, he's going the for the quarterback, side, though. He's going I mean, for the quarterback every time. I know. Well, I think just... that that's the mental side. And Spagnola made sure to point out that he is accomplishing the mental side, which is the he big did. question. Like, th- just... that was the thing that we've had a question about all along is learning that. And it seems like he's doing it so far. That's that's great news. I'm I a think... lot higher on the move now. I think they're doing a lot of work cross-training him, but I think I do think it could be matchup specific because I think if you put him out at end against Baltimore – 
they're just going to read off of him a lot. So like he, they're going to have to scrape and they're going to know exactly what they're doing. So they're J.J. Wadding him. They're literally just going to put him over the worst offensive lineman ever and then we're going to act like it's crazy that he had a good game. Why yeah. not? Okay, I mean, no, I'm not it, saying it's bad. Yeah. I'm, it's called the J.J. Watt. It's where he's good enough to play anywhere that you literally mm-hmm. just put him over the worst player and then we act surprised that he had a good game. I think that's a good move. I mean, yeah, I'm I fine with it. I think that actually puts piece. Chris in a great situation. I think that puts Chris in the best situation to succeed. All right. I'm putting on the tinfoil hat, guys. Steve Spagnolo. This is the second time now that we have uh, heard a lot about the red zone defense. Steve Spagnolo mm-hmm. actually exa- expanded on it a little bit, talked about stopping the run first. That is their first goal in the red zone. I think that for Steve Spagnolo, that goes beyond the red zone. He wants to stop the run. He does not like being run on. You want to know one of the best ways to not be run on? Put Jerron Reed at defensive tackle instead of Chris Jones. Yep. Chris Jones at defensive end. Mike Dana. You know, you could cycle in guys out there, but you want to see better run defense. I think you move in Jerron Reed, move out or off the field Chris Jones. I think this is kind of where you start to see the pathway to maybe getting more defensive end reps at the end of the year than D tackle reps. If that run defense, especially in the red zone, continues to struggle, but even outside of it, Chris Jones playing outside makes even more sense. So that's just, that was something else that caught my eye that Spagnuolo said. He honed in on run defense. And I think anybody that listens to us knows we're not the biggest fans of Chris Jones' consistency as a run defender. Flash plays are there, but the consistency is very up and down. And that's something very- that Steve Spagnuolo craves is consistency <laughs> in doing your job. It so it could be frustrating. So getting somebody, getting him in more advantageous situations where he's, I mean, I would love to see teams try to run at Chris Jones out on the edge. I think he's going to be able to set a really good edge, frankly. Oh, for sure. And I think so as well. Yeah. There's like there's there's areas out on the edge that that he'll have success out as a, as a run defender and probably better success as a run defender if you're just asking him to hold the edge and then trying to shoot gaps and all that stuff from the interior. I think it's actually a, it's a really it's a net positive. It's just I I I struggle with the idea of him as a player that you put in conflict, a player that has to operate in space. That terrifies me, Craig. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I do. And I understand that that's something that that they may have to deal with and that Spagnolo may, like, eh, he may J.J. Watt him. We'll, we'll see. But That I would do, be fun. I'm here for that it. It would be fun. That would be fun. I do want to go back. Maddie talking about Steve Spagnolo saying they want to stop the run. He specifically said, we want, teams to throw we want to force teams to throw and it makes perfect sense steve spagnuolo's past defenses have been significantly better than his run defenses as of late of course you want to throw make teams throw but i thought it was very very interesting that he pointed out in the red zone we want teams to throw on us because we're reducing angles. We're reducing the ability for guys to get open in that area. So I just think that it, it was really interesting to hear him actually talk about, you know, the philosophy in the red zone after Anthony Hitchens addressed it last week. Well, and let's be all over the place. Like Steve Spagnuolo was, I want to go let's back to Ken's point about protecting Chris Jones. If he's in conflict out in space, you want to know how you do that? Let's get real nerdy here. Strong side defensive end, weak side defensive end. You want to oh, protect yeah. Chris Jones in space? He only ever plays strong side defensive end. Now, teams will motion away from it, so on and so forth, and you just deal with that as it comes. But you can very easily put Chris Jones as the strong side D end. That puts a linebacker as the overhang. The linebacker is going to be able to help with yeah. him being in conflict versus a lot of these option plays. You let Frank Clark take on 
not an easier job, but a little bit less physically demanding job because they don't, they've never really switched guys. Frank Clark has played both sides, but he hasn't predominantly played weak or strong. Maybe let him play a little bit more weak. Let him be less of the focal point of the run defense. Let it be Chris Jones when he's playing out on the edge. That also can remove him from some of this conflict. I think that's just a way you can insulate him a little bit from that exact issue going forward. I just oh, That was just something that came into yeah. my head while Kent was going on about the space. Well, and if it's Baltimore, they're going to run away from Frank Clark as much as they possibly can, as we that saw two terrified. years ago. They were yeah. terrified of running at Frank Clark. So by all means, run into Chris Jones as a strong side defensive end with a linebacker shaded on the outside of him. Run into the teeth of the defense, please. Oh my God, that. Villain Nueva trying to block Chris Jones right now is going to be a sight Ooh, to behold. I, I watched some Alejandro Villain Nueva when I was thinking the Chiefs might consider signing him. Guy's cooked, number one. But, uh, <laughs> he is not handling power at all. That's a fun matchup. I think he got paid. Did he get paid similarly to Eric Fisher? And Eric Fisher may not even play for half the year. Yeah, but one's good and one's not. I know. It's just so. interesting. Like half half an Eric Fisher was worth similar to, to an Alejandro Villanueva. Uh, all right, let's talk here a little bit about the linebackers. Um, there was some comments about both Willie Gay and Nick Bolton that were worth addressing. You know, it. it Linebacker seems like a very important position to this football team, and there's still very many question marks, even with the young players that they've got in the mix, Maddie. So there was a lot to be talked about the linebackers. Bolton, Willie Gay, new coaches, who's in control there, so on and so forth. Somebody's going to have to help me. I don't want to call him Flajoli like everybody else does. It's a Flajoli. It's Ken Flajol. Flajol? Flajol. had a lot of really nice things to say about Anthony Hitchens, and this is – there's been a lot of people, including us, that have speculated a little bit that Anthony Hitchens not necessarily is on the outs, but the Chiefs were maybe looking for his direct replacement, so on and so forth. And I'm not saying they're not, but boy, that was a lot of praise for Anthony Hitchens, specifically on the mental side. Like Flajol went be above and beyond to talk about how he calls all these different plays on the line of scrimmage. He calls all this different stuff. He will override what the defensive coordinator calls occasionally, and it's the right move. They have gone out of their way to talk up Anthony Hitchens this offseason to put him on the podium. I really wonder if they might just like him a whole lot more than I think a lot of fans do. Maybe we should not be so gung-ho to think Anthony Hitchens is playing his final season with the Chiefs. Because, boy, everybody seems to love him. Yeah. I mean, Flajol went out of his way to say that as Anthony Hitchens was out there calling checks at the line of scrimmage and making adjustments, he said, man, you deserve a raise because you are going above and beyond. This is a dude that's been coaching linebackers in the league forever. Like, I mean, he's been around for a long time, he's in a lot of really good linebackers in a lot of different schemes. And the fact that he's sitting there watching Anthony Hitchens coach these guys, make checks at the line, he called them the eraser, basically covering up when a defensive coordinator makes the wrong call. He's the guy that has to come out there and say, nah, we ain't doing that. We're shifting to this. And he was just floored by how well Anthony Hitchens did that. Ken Flajol is not the type of guy to give a bunch of lip service. Like, I don't, I, I think that this is genuine. I don't think he's just talking him up. I think that this is real, that this is genuine. I think he just really loves what he brings to the table. 
The question is here, because the Chiefs just drafted Nick Bolton in the second round, can, what does that mean for Nick? What does that mean for him going forward here if Anthony Hitchens is such an important piece? Well, it's, it's fascinating. You, I mean, and you, Steve Spagnuolo was, I don't want to say non-committal about Nick Bolton's role early, but it was kind of, we'll see. And I think he said similarly about Willie Gay as well. It's both of these young guys that they're like, I don't want to say they're not, it's not lukewarm. It's just, you would, you would like to see the positioning of how they're talking about them be a little bit different. Both of these guys is maybe a little bit of, you know, they're picking it up quick. We're really excited about what they're looking at. It was more like, we'll see how we'll use them. <laughs> and I don't love, you don't love to hear. That's one of those context clues. I think with the linebackers group is you want a little bit more positivity coming out of there. Maybe we'll hear more down the road here. And maybe they're just trying to really, you know, push on these guys. The, the whole Anthony Hitchens thing is so fascinating to me. I want to go back to that because Anthony Hitchens, I thought, actually played decent football and pretty good football last, you know, late in the back end of the season. He was a lot better than what we've seen to this point um, from him. And it took him a long time to get going and get things figured out and start playing fast. He started playing a little faster towards the high back speed internet, as, speed. as Kim Flajoli called it. Like, Oh, I love this. Craig having to pronounce names. Ah, it's so good. The worst, the worst. But he called it high speed, high speed internet, the way that that Hitchens processes things. Yes. So I guess, you know, it it that's what's just so I don't want to say annoying. It's just frustrating that you know the team has invested so much in the linebacker position and if they are going to indeed keep anthony hitchens beyond this year and he is as beloved by this coaching staff which by every indication for the last he three is. years mm -hmm. they love anthony hitchens steve spagnola loves anthony hitchens mike house uh loves anthony hitchens and now ken flajol loves anthony hitchens and the team has still went out of their way to continue to add bodies to the linebacker group there's some redundancy in what a bolton does here there's some redundant you know there's some redundancy in what willie gay does i don't know there's some there's some bigger dudes here uh it's, it's a big thick linebacker group that's not the best coverage there's a lot of questions there for me and the the roster construction is there's a lot of questions there if 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 anthony hitchens is going to be here beyond this last year well and speaking of linebackers I mean, we have a lot more to unpack here so Flajol also, like Anthony Hitchens from last week or last OTA period, talked a lot about how the modern NFL linebackers are big defensive backs. They have to be coverage players. They have to cover first. That is what they do now. He talked about it. And Anthony Hitchens is coming into this camp a little bit lighter. He's trying to get a little bit quicker. He's trying to be faster. He talked about because of the way football's trending. But then they went and drafted Nick Bolton. I don't Nick Bolton, I some people are, you know, he's kind of athletic. He's explosive. But his what, hey, profile. Real quick, I was watching uh, the the kingdom uh, or the kingdom short this week. Nick Bolton, I believe, measured weighed in at two hundred and thirty seven pounds at his pro day. Mm -hmm. Didn't have mm -hmm. a great pro day. What if he's lightening up a little bit? Like, I would love to know what Nick Bolton's playing at here in Kansas City. Sorry, sidebar. Please continue, Matthew. No, somebody has to become the coverage linebacker, and you hope it's Willie Gay. And like that is the goal. But Flajol, just like Hitchens, talked about the fact that they know that linebackers need to be better in coverage, and the Chiefs simply haven't had good ones as of late. Chiefs fans will be happy to know Ben Neiman's name didn't come up once. 
from Got Steve Spagnuolo, from Flajol, anybody. Nobody brought up Ben Neiman. So, like, you know, keep your chin up for that, Chiefs Kingdom. Maybe <laughs> you won't have a ton of Ben Neiman on the field because last year we got a lot of Ben Neiman lip service. Yeah, we really did. Well, one of the things that they kind of pointed out was that they still needed to grow and learn the game. Steve Spagnuolo definitely pointed out that Willie Gay Jr., did not get a training camp last year, did not get a preseason, missed those valuable reps. As we've talked about all, you know, all of last year, we talked about how he missed out on the most valuable reps for him, but that he's still progressing in the role of Sam and Will. And he talked about Nick Bolton a little bit, also needing to take those steps. Nick Bolton is a very high IQ player. He was at Missouri, but we've now heard Spagnuolo say that he's got to come along in the mental game a little bit, which we get coming to the NFL sure. level. And sure. Anthony Hitch last year or last week talked about how he kind of is teaching him how to take notes from the film room and take it out. Because he didn't school. like to take notes because Nick Bolton like wasn't a notes. big note taker, I believe Correct. was the quote. Correct. So it, he's learning some of the in- intricacies of how to translate some of the film stuff to the field it could just be that maybe that practice and film wall is just a little steep because that's what they're getting right now they're not getting any of the physical reps really so they might just be seeing him in the film room and going all right we got to train him on how to do some of this stuff and once that comes along it could quick or it could click fairly quickly we'll see when you hope for that because i mean you want to see i mean uh, you want to see bolton pick things up because the 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 reaction time and, and the instincts were very obvious um in the run game specifically on tape at Missouri. Like those were things that you saw oh, from yeah. him, a quick trigger, a guy that was diagnosing and playing downhill. And it's just interesting to see the ju- the juxtaposition between what you saw at Missouri and some of the the ways his con- the comments about him have been positioned. It's just fascinating. It's just fascinating to see that's how it kind of you know that that's that's the way they're i mean they, they they'll they'll tell you things without telling you things a lot of times and you you hope for Context more of, you want you hope for yeah you hope for a little bit more uh more praise about some things on some of these guys at times but that's and it's not i'm not no one's burying anybody here that's no. just the context clue it's just it was just interesting to hear um because if well, Maddie buried Ben Neiman a little bit. That's true. He did. But if 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 Nick Bolton is going to be the guy in 2022, he's going to be the I believe that was the opponents we faced. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Anyways, I want Nick Bolton to be the green dot in 2022 if they're moving on from Anthony Hitchens. And you just hope that he's project, project, uh, not projecting. Well, yeah, he's projecting towards that. You know, he's progressing and getting getting to become that guy because that's really what you want to see happen. All right, that it is hold like, up. We got more linebacker talk, Kent. Don't get oh, it. Cut off defense, defense, man. He's so okay, done. Okay, come on. This guy's just trying it's real hard to get back to quarterback stuff. I'm out. So yeah. we didn't talk about Camelia Correa being released. Mm-hmm. That's oh, do we, we need could... to talk about that? I think that's oh. worth talking about. He was a linebacker. We're talking about linebackers. You know, this is like the thirteenth time the Chiefs have tried to add a rush Sam, but it hasn't made it past camp. So not something that they are married to. So he got released. But the only reason I thought of that is Flajol got hired as an outside linebacker coach. And it caught my attention because it made, it really did make me wonder what was going on with Matt House, how it was going. Well, to put out any potential fires, everybody, Andy Reid, Steve Spagnuolo, Flajol, everybody was really complimentary of what Matt House has been doing with the linebacker group. So what that's left Flajol's job to be, and I think this is going to be really good, 
Steve Spagnuolo talked about it on game day. He's really good making adjustments on game day, understanding what offensive schemes are trying to do against them. So I think, yes, he's there to help during the week. I'm not, uh, he's a coach. He's obviously going to do that. He talked about how he'll do anything that's asked of him, but I think they really hired him for some peace of mind on game days. He might take over a little bit more of the linebacker coaching during the game, helping these guys notice trends, notice things that are happening in the game. Matt House will handle other stuff. I just don't think this is the beginning of Matt House being on the outs, whereas it kind of looked like that on the surface when they brought in a long-tenured linebackers coach that Andy Reid knew, that Steve Spagnuolo knew, the head coach with all these guys. So just feel safe if you're a Matt House fan like I am. I do, don't think that means anything in that regard. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think that we're seeing going to see Clint, Ken Fajol during the week kind of cleaning up a lot of the stuff he talked about how he'd been a defensive coordinator before he'd been a linebackers coach before he understands the intricacies of doing all of those things and how much it puts on the plate of those coaches so he's there to kind of alleviate a lot of that stuff and then yeah maddie like you said like spagnolo talked about how great he is on game day or maybe that was andy reed one of the two they were both effusive in their praise of him so they they really discussed how he's going to bring things to the table help make adjustments. I I actually got really high on Ken Flajol. I really did. Just listening to everybody talk about what he's going to do and listening to him talk about what he's going to do just because like, oh man, yeah, this is like this is like Brad Childress was for the Chiefs a couple of years ago. Just a I guy think that, that was just of, you trying to process how to pronounce his name. They got you. <laughs> okay. We've heard like three different versions is. already. <laughs> I see how it is. I see how it is. Listen, man. Flajoli. Flajoli. Flajolini. Sorry, Ken. I'm so sorry. So sorry. You are so fragile. <laughs> All right, compose yourself and sign us off, Kent. Take oh, breath. is that it? What a great transition to close this thing out. That is going to do it for another episode of the KC Laboratory. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the KCSN Substack, kcn.substack.com. Subscribe to the YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at KC Sports Network. All that good stuff. Appreciate you. Catch you later. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.